Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Wheel Reads, a Wheel of Time podcast. Your hosts are Alan, Chris, and Ian. This podcast is safe for first-time readers with no spoilers. This week, we'll be covering chapters 46 and 47 of The Eye of the World, Faldara, and more Tales of the Wheel. Enjoy. All right, moving on to episode 22. Um, We are... So close to finishing this book. Actually, we have this one, we have next week, and then the week after that is our final episode uh, for Eye of the World and for the season. So we're, we're really in the home stretch, guys. I know it <laughs> seems like we've been doing this forever, but then we got we got 14 more books after this. Woo! So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So, a couple of housekeeping things before we get going. So, we do have new patrons. So, we got two. All right. Uh, this week. Yeah, two. We got Feeling Seasick. Which uh, I feel sorry for. I've never experienced that before, but I've been around a lot of people that have. And I'm sorry if you are feeling seasick at any time, because uh, I've I've seen what happens and it's not pretty. And then uh, we have Jim the D, um, I think from Scotland. Uh, he's a, just joined today to the to the patron team, I believe uh, this morning. Um, so nice. yeah, so but but happy to have you as a patron. So uh, the more we have, of course, the more things we can do. Uh, we did do a giveaway that has finished. Um, Tree Hugger won the, the won the book. I know on on Twitter it was announced that um, um, that uh, Watt Credits had won the book, but he actually already has a hardcover, uh, a paperback, and an e copy. And his wife said she didn't want any more space on her bookshelf, so he kind of came back to me and said, "Okay, can you redraw?" So thank you, Watt Credits, for giving that up. So I, I'm sure that um, that. Uh, uh, Tree appreciates that because I know she's super excited about getting that book. Um, we're super excited to get to her. So once we get everybody's signatures on the book, I already have the book. Um, with quarantine and all, I think Ian's the hardest one to get. Uh, Chris just lives down the road, but at some point, whenever you cruise on through town, uh, get your quick signature. I will make it a point. I'll, I'll be down there within a week. Yeah. So exciting times. We will do more of these giveaways. Actually, I said once we hit – 10,000 downloads. I'm going to do my next book giveaway. Um, we hit 5,000 uh, last week. It took a grand total of 14 days to go from 4,000 to 5,000. So um, we, we were growing pretty fast. So uh, thank you everyone for, for listening. Uh, that's 5,000 downloads. Um, that's what that is. Um, so we hit that big 5K mark. Uh, the next big milestone probably is the 10,000 mark. And we also hit 600 Twitter followers today as well. So two kind of round numbers to talk about. Um, so uh, excited about everyone listening. Um, you know, we've made a lot of changes to our Discord to like really be inclusive with our first-time readers. 
Uh, we've added a new special label for them. So when they come in, if they want to, they can uh, uh, be be blocked from the spoiler channels and also have a special name uh, color on their name, which allows all the people that have read the book not to spoil it for them. So kind of some cool things just to help out and, and, and let people, um, you know, enjoy our community as much as possible with still being, if they're the first time reader and us not ruin it for them. So yeah, fun stuff. Of course you guys are blocked out from everything. So I don't have to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. Um, as far as personal life, um, I'll start first cause I'm just already talking, but, um, you know, it's it's been interesting week, I think, for everyone here in the United States. Um, actually, it's been interesting for a long time. You know, we've been quarantined forever. Um, unemployment's at a, a all-time high. Um, I, I'm blessed to be still employed, even though working from home. And it seems like I'm unemployed at times just because it's weird. I still haven't adjusted to it. Um, but, of course, with all the recent uh, upheaval and protests, um, and rightfully so, throughout our country um i'm not gonna get too much into it but um it's it's just been a lot and very very uh weighing on the soul weighing on on just turn on the news and it's, it can't help but just yeah this is heavy i don't know i don't know how else to put it but uh but in personal life other than that because i have you know we're a little removed being at home kind of quarantined um besides i can see on the news um that's been digging um a uh, whole lot digging out a patio, extending my patio out. So a lot of a lot of going outside and digging. Um, that's pretty much all I've been doing. So <laughs> it's working on my garden, getting my garden ready. Uh, actually, my wife's garden. I just want the, the labor force that that helps get the yard and the garden ready. So I guess uh, I'll start on a exciting, happy, good news story note. Uh, those of y'all that have been following us on Discord, uh, I posted this the other day. Um, but during my lunch break, uh, because I live out on this fantastic river and the weather was fantastic, I decided to take a boat ride with a couple of buddies, uh, and my dad and we're cruising and we saw this like white ball of fluff chilling on this pier and it looked kind of like a penguin. It was weird. So we're like, what the hell is this? And as we get closer to it, uh, this osprey swoops in towards it and it takes a leap off the pier into the water. And it was apparent right off the bat that whatever this was could not swim. It was struggling. Uh, We got closer and it looked at us with this like, oh shit, look on its face. Like, please help me. And it was a um, young barn owl fledgling. Uh, First I've seen, I mean, I've seen full grown barn owls like maybe twice in my life um, in the wild. Um, So pulled this guy out of the water, dried him off as best we could. Uh, Got him back up on the pier. His mom was still around, but she wasn't coming down directly to him because she was still fighting off the Osprey. And then these two crows that were being assholes and also joining in the fray. They looked like they were more doing it just for the fun of it. They weren't trying to eat the owl. It was so weird. But the Osprey was definitely trying to eat him. Um, So I'm going to go back by tomorrow and fingers crossed. Hopefully this young dude is still alive and hanging out with his mom, but we shall see. Uh, But it was exciting. my first up close experience. I mean, I held due to my hand. So it was, it was very neat, very national geographic ish. I, you know, Alan hinted on this and I went back and forth about uh, how much I wanted to discuss what's going on across our country right now. And I don't know for, 
whether it's right or wrong, I, I guess I decided I, I won't use this. I don't want to by going on on too far down the rabbit hole of of what's happening in our country and and changing the whole topic of you know what we're here for. But I will say, um, you know, Alan, I know you experienced this some. Uh, Chris, definitely, you have your own perspective. I I grew up in a military family, um, and my dad was enlisted in the Navy. And so all of our family friends and his friends and people that were constantly over were from every race and background, uh, from all over the country, from, I mean, it just you name it, and, and that's who we hung out with. And in school, you know, I grew up in downtown Newport News, uh, so <clears throat> I was, I mean, most of my schools were like 90% uh, black or higher. Those were my neighbors. They were my babysitters, my teachers. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I've always watched it happen. Um, I, I had kids in my neighborhood that even at, at a, a young age, if, um, if they want to go to the corner store, we had a tiny giant, which is kind of like a 7-Eleven or, you know, a little grocery mart. If they ask permission to go, their parents would say, you can only go if Ian or my brother uh, went with them. And because they knew <laughs> there was more safety, the, the kids were more safe if there was the white kid from the neighborhood going with them. Uh, and when we were little, I guess we kind of joked about it. Uh, but, I mean, it's just everything's kind of coming to a culmination now. And I guess I'll leave it at that. It's this has been a very rough week. Like reading and preparing for this was very difficult. And then, gosh, okay, so maybe I lied. Maybe I'm going to go on a rant about stuff. <laughs> and then I'm in this shitty position um, where because I am white and I don't know, like I have blonde hair, blue eyes. So maybe other racist white people just think I'm going to agree with them. And I've been purging social media of just the most despicable people that have either private messaged me stuff thinking that I'm going to be in agreement with them. Uh, there was a coworker <laughs> this last week that I already turned him in or at least reporting them to my supervisor of shit. They said to me in a private message because they thought, haha, it would be funny and that I'd be in agreement with them. And I just, it boggles my mind how people could just be so just shitty and not caring about other human beings. Um, and stuff like this happens and it, it just exposes even more shitty people out there. So I don't, I don't know. Uh -huh. Maybe Alan will edit a lot of this out. I'm rambling now. Maybe I should have wrote something up so I could be more coherent, but this week has been pretty crappy, but I've also seen, I mean, I've seen a lot of good too. And, and a lot of people that are, uh, standing up for their rights and not letting other people silence them, not letting the people that are getting into shenanigans, disrupt the movement and you know I, I offer my support to them in, in any way I can man sure so yeah that's my week all right so how are you Chris <laughs> first off I'm gonna start on a really high note I want to give a shout out to uh, officer Mathers who has joined our discord he is a very good friend of mine he is a a man in blue and he's also African-American so that's really cool to have a 
African-American officer patrolling our streets just goes to show that um, race does not get in the way of you know, social justice and does not get in the way of people who know what morality looks like doing the right thing. Um, and like Ian, this has definitely been a hard time for me um, processing a lot of different emotions and feelings with the passing of my friend being barely two weeks away, uh, two weeks past, and then seeing everything going on in the media and having a lot of family closely, family and friends closely connected to a lot of different movements in the local area. We've had a couple of uh, protests, very, very, very well-organized, very, very, very um, safe, secure, and peaceful protests going on. Uh, my pastor, Randy Shepley, was a part of uh, a protest that involved multiple pastors and our police chief and a couple other police chiefs throughout the area. It was just really cool to see the group of, you know, all races, all jobs getting together and speaking against the atrocities that are happening right now. And then my, um, one of the girls that I helped raise, um, because I, I definitely helped to raise many kids, but um, one individual, Kaylin, I have literally changed more diapers for her than what I ever wanted to in my life. <laughs> um, she made me proud. She was out um, Williamsburg protesting uh, this past Sunday. And it was, it's more about her, you know, just standing up for what she believes in. It's not necessarily geared towards any one thing other than what is, you know, right by any human being. Um, you know, personally, I definitely have had my my moments of insecurities being, you know, a black male in America, if you can even call it that. I'm 64% white and 46% black, but when you look at me, you don't know the difference. So, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, you kind of see what you want to see. And for me, that's that's dangerous because, you know, I'm, I'm one of those individuals that was raised in a white home in a black community. So I'm like the whitest black person people know and the blackest white person people know. And I I have to conscientiously think about where I'm going and what I'm doing and how the color of my skin could make a difference in the decisions that I make. Like, I love going outside and wearing my black hoodie, but is that the safest thing for me to do in a moment? Maybe, probably not. Um, you know, stopping in at a 7-Eleven at midnight, I question doing that sometimes. And it's really sad that, you know, you have to do that. And, you know, I, I again, being raised by a white mother and a white family was never necessarily taught to think that way if it wasn't for the fact that I had a lot of great mentors in the black community that helped also to raise me have been you know stopped randomly and my car looked over for drugs and this that and the other and you know my mother always told me to stand up for myself but then my mentors are like you have to remember that you don't always, you're not always able or allowed to have a voice in particular matters. And I am by all means super lucky to have a lot of friends that are in the force. Um, 
that I can always lean on when there are moments that have distress for me. I can call them and say, hey, you know, call your boy, you know, let him know that I'm a good guy. <laughs> but it's it's sad when to think that you have to do stuff like that. Well, with all that being said, let's go ahead and keep moving on with the podcast. So <laughs> I know everyone's heart's heavy. We could probably talk about this for hours, but this is a Wheel of Time podcast. Yeah. Let's talk about Wheel of Time. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, mean, I don't I don't Fair enough. I don't want to I don't want to belittle the conversation, but we can definitely um, have it offline uh, with the Discord between all of us and any other social media. It is important. I'm not trying to belittle it at any means, but at the same time, uh, you know, that's what we're here for tonight. That's what all you guys are here for. So, um, country or state, Chris, you are. We're going to go with the Democratic Republic of the Congo. All right. So, going back to Africa and the Democratic Republic of the Congo, formerly known as Zaire. Uh, that was a long time ago, but. Uh, <laughs> One of my friends growing up, actually, his, uh, was a political um, a refugee from there. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so came, All right. came here to New Purdue. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Anyway, so also, before we get into the episode, predictions from last week and further back. Uh, three are from last week, one's from way, way back. I'm actually going to ask you if you want to even keep this on the prediction or not. Um, so the three are that Pat and Fane are something is following them. As long as something's following them, Ian is right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the ways, um, the ways are something similar to, are something to do with the shimmering from the very, from the prologue um, that, that way gate, there's something similar, the ways and what happened in the prologue, there's something, there's a connection there. Um, and then Ogears can use magic. Was another um, hmm. opening doors. I think Chris made that yeah. uh, prediction. Um, and then the one that's kind of a throwback one was that Moraine and Rand are going to hook up. You know, last I mean, week. I still want to see it. I don't. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm going to speak it into existence. So yeah, uh, yeah. Keep keep going at it. Yeah. So that was um. You know. So so last week we the one we brought back up was Rand and. Gwayne, Rand's going to become Gwayne's warder. Now we're on the Mer- Moraine and Rand are going to hook up. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, those are, those are the predictions. So as before we get into the first chapter, we did hit, talk about this last episode briefly. And I said we're going to talk about it next week. Before we get into that, we got a map. So um, whenever we fall into a map in the book, we do have to talk about the map just a little bit and what your thoughts are. Um, I know the first time you looked at the map, it meant nothing because it's just all these random names and you had no idea what any of the stuff was and what the names of the days were. Um, now at least, at least the big city on here, Tarvalin, we know what that is. Um, that's all, you know, if you're looking at it, um, I guess towards the bottom of the page. Or if you twist it, it's over towards the towards the the left. Right. Um, and then looking, it's just sword. It's kind of not a north pointing map, which is always fun. But going north of Tarvalin, uh, actually northeast, that's where you get the far far Darum, uh, which is um, all the way on the right side of the map, still kind of the bottom. And then you see the blight, uh, Shaogul, um, Tarwin's Gap, which we'll talk about this. Um, episode and then also uh, Mountains of Doom. So just some other things. So anything else stick out to you guys? 
they skipped a lot by traveling through the ways. Yes. Like not an insignificant amount, a lot. Yeah. That's a very fast way of traveling. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, if you go back to the to the beginning of the or the beginning of the book where they have that initial map, um, I think it's right up. I think it's right up the prologue. Or, yeah, right up the prologue. Yeah. Um, and you see where Camelot is and where Falardar is. It's almost actually. It's. I want to say that Camelot to Emmons Field is closer than Camelot is to Falardar. Like, so that entire first eighty percent of the book. Was just as far as how fast far we got to in the ways. So yeah, yeah, pretty pretty far, pretty fast. I, mean, I don't know, uh, I don't know if it's decoration, far. but I love the way they have the leaves wrapping the sword. I don't know if there's any significance to that yeah. in the future. Um, yeah. But you know, we we found out the significance now of the leaves and how they're playing a role with the ways, and then we have the sword entwined in the leaves. So it's like, is there a significance there? Who knows? We'll find out by book 12, maybe 13. <laughs> um, we see that the seven towers yeah. are listed, even though we know, well, we'll go over the seven towers. Um, <laughs> we, we will a bit. We learn a this whole lot. Work. I'm ready to get into it. And we also have a million and a half more questions. Yeah, I, I joked around with him earlier today. I sent him a message saying, hey, guys, we get like 100 questions answered tonight and then uh, 200 <laughs> more questions asked. So, <laughs> Pretty but, much. But We're we, used to it by now. But we do get a whole lot of information with this, uh, these chapters. So uh, if, you're, if you're into the history of this world and, and lore and some of the backstory, these chapters are great. Um, they're, they're some of the best chapters for that, um, at least in this book. Right. Eve, you got anything to add to the map? Or... It's pretty. It is pretty. Okay. All right, chapter 46, Faldara. Um, so we have the icon of that tree at night with the moon behind it, kind of the dead tree, and of course the chapter is Faldara. Um, it's a city name. It's an icon of the tree. We've had this a long time ago. It's been a while since we've had this one, but I don't know. Do you guys have anything oh, to add? I mean, not much of this chapter. Ogier Groves. It's there you go. Just a symbol of the dead Ogier Groves. That's what is now my thought, dead, which is yeah. really sad. Yeah. Hmm. Anything from you, Ian? Or um, no. Okay. So yeah, so let's go get started. So we start with the description of the outside of the Waygate. Um, they're in the borderlands. It's really cold. Uh, we're in a place called Shinar. Um. Like I said, it's cold. Randon, Randon can kind of almost sense the blight being near and kind of almost freaks them out. And they can see Faldara off in the distance. Like, they can see towers. Um, and they, they start making their way towards Faldara. And as they do, they see that the trees are split. For, and I think it's land explains that the sap freezes. And this actually does happen in the extreme north um, you know, we do have people, uh, listeners from the blight from Canada, <laughs> and I think they can they can actually vouch that it doesn't happen here in Virginia, at least. Um, I, I can only remember, I think one time as a kid, I remember uh, a, a tree exploding from cold, and it was during the ice storm around Christmas when I was a kid, yeah. and a couple of trees exploded, but like the trees froze over and it was complete ice storm. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, so it doesn't happen down yeah. here that often 
I think the description that Jordan gives is really neat. He says, sometimes the winter is so cold here that the sap freezes and trees burst. There are nights when you can hear them crackling like fireworks, and the air is so sharp you think that you might shatter too. Like, there are that. So, like, it's really neat that he has given us these descriptors because it really puts that imagery into our mind and it makes us feel like maybe he has experienced this before. I don't know much about his past. I really have done a good job of not researching the author as well um, because I don't want it to kind of instigate my thoughts about what he does. But I really do enjoy that imagery. And I remember I went up to Michigan in negative 14 degree weather. So I can definitely feel the cold that he's talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and Matt's complaining about how cold it is. And Lance says, well, this is spring in the borderlands. He said, if you want warmth, we'll have it when we get to the blight. So obviously get the idea that the blight's warm. Um, but uh, this is actually spring weather. It's not even that cold. And, and as they move along, they realize all the farms are all abandoned. Um, but they're recently abandoned. Um, you know, they, 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 Taryn actually with a super wolf eyesight can see the rust on a scythe, a scythe blade um, and uh, surprises Rand by that. But yeah, um, and, and like I said, Matt's is growling about being cold. Well, I think um, one and, of the biggest things get... is like you had a Gwen who's just like the curtains in the windows. They look too light for winter curtains even here. Uh, so the, the ladies had their perspective. They were looking at the home. And then you had the men's perspective of, well, there's no rusts on the side. So it couldn't have been out in the open for more than a week. A little sexist by Jordan, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, that's one of, the, one of the things that people do complain about Jordan. Is, of course, it was written in the 90s. Um, and, um, you know, he does actually uh, stereotype gender roles a lot. But as we've seen already, and we will see again. Um, but yeah, so um, yeah, like I said, Matt's growling about the cold. Um, Rand tries one last ditch effort to convince uh, Gwen and Nynaeve not to come anymore. Um, you know, to, to stay back. They don't have to go to the blight. It says, "Loyal, you don't have to go either." And Loyal says, "No, I want to beat the Green Man." Which I um, I know we've talked about the Green Man before, but I don't know if we put the two and two together. Um, you know, what does the Green Man have to do with the Eye of the World? But I found this interesting interchange interesting yeah he's like elder wait are we supposed to know the answer <laughs> no i'm just asking you guys what your thoughts are. he said elder hammond <laughs> always talks about his meeting with the green man and so does father and most of the elders so apparently the green man definitely loves the ogier for whatever reason of course we have this idea that the green man's very much about nature and the ogier very much about nature as well so like thinking about my parallel with lord of uh, Lord of the Rings. Nope. About my parallel with um, with Game of Thrones. You know, we have our children of the forest type people here. <laughs> um, I really like the fact that it's like the stories say the green man is hard to find and no one can find him twice. Yeah, that's uh, something that they that the stories all say. So that that most people can't get to him or ever find and him. And then we have mentioned yeah. the songs they, really don't want they talk about the tree songs, which songs mm-hmm. become a, an apparent re- reoccurring theme so far throughout this novel with the tinkers looking for their song. And we have our, you know, two river folk using songs to make money and 
the stories are all the same, though the titles change throughout the different parts of the land, which is really neat, but it's kind of the oral history, I guess. So can't wait to actually sure. hear one of these songs. So like the, the relationship between the green man and the eye of the world, like, uh, I mean, I haven't really pieced it together in my mind, but like what I'm kind of picturing so far and go ahead and laugh at this because I do when, when I picture it in my head, what's the, which one is the Indiana Jones movie where they're going after the Holy Grail? Last Crusade. Last Crusade. Right. And uh, that really old knight that's like guarding the grail at the end. I think it's actually Lancelot. Yeah, it is Lancelot. Is it Lancelot? Tag gone. Think, it's yeah. been years since I've watched it, but okay. So like the green man is kind of like in my mind that the, it's not one and the same as the eye of the world, but he's like the keeper of it or like sure. the, the mouthpiece, the being that you can interact with when you're in the presence of the eye of the world, whatever that might be. But sure. as of right, as of right now, I just, in my mind, I read the green man and for whatever reason, I'm picturing this really old night that, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I got. And, and, and no one heeds, uh, Rand's request. I mean, the girls are like, "Yeah, we're part of it too. We're coming. There's nothing you can do to talk us out of this, um, no matter how dangerous it is." Um, and then we get to actually more description of Faldara, and it's wait, know, wait. A very what? wait, 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 wait. We gotta. I'm not gonna wait for you to go on and then pull a Chris and go back. <laughs> I gotta stop where we're at. Okay, because so, this is the, this is like the first line I, I underlined here, uh, and our characters make a point of it also, but it's significant. Um, when Nynaeve is responding, she corrects herself. She says, if you boys, you men, can do what has to be done when you'd rather do almost anything else, why do you think I would do less? Or Egwene. Uh, and then further down, as she trotted toward Moraine, Matt men. said, she called <laughs> us men. It seems like only yesterday she was saying we shouldn't be off the leading strings. Now she calls us men. Uh, like, this, this is a pretty, I mean, it's a significant uh, rites of passage moment. Um, you got to go all the way back to the beginning and understanding the role of the the wisdom and naive in that village and to be able to get that sort of respect and that recognition from her is a big deal to them. So whether she truly means it or whether she's saying it to like help give them the courage she knows they're going to need, either way, it's that's a pretty significant transition. Mm. It's not for somebody to shoot their shot. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So, um, uh, just a quick correction because Discord did correct us. In Indiana Jones' Last Crusade, it is not Lancelot. It is credited as the Grail Knight. Um, he was from the Crusades long after the Arthur Ethereum era. So, it's not okay. Lancelot. It's Grail Knight. So, we love our Discord. <laughs> yeah, our Discord likes to uh, correct us all the time. But I just wanted, like, we don't want to spread fake news on this podcast. So, well, and I uh, definitely don't want to be wrong about that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, wait, yeah. hold on. Edit this in there so people that listen to it later uh, just assume I'm right all the time. Uh, so, the night was uh, the Grail Night. And um, yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah definitely so, not lancelot uh, alan geez you know what you're talking about all right so. <laughs> <laughs> moving on so yeah so now we get to Fodara and we get a nice description of this city um and it's definitely more practical than the other ones like where uh every city they've been to so far yeah they had walls but the walls are really shiny and pretty and uh had nice curves to you know really really you know, uh, 
more aesthetically pleasing walls uh, and, and looks um, and design, whereas this it is just fortified. Like you said, the um, town of Faldara was built on the hills higher than the surrounding country. It was nowhere near as big as Camelin, but the walls around it as high as Camelin's. For a full mile outside the wall, in every direction, the ground was clear of anything taller than grass, and that cut low. Nothing could come close without being seen from one of the many tall towers topped by wooden hoardings. Where the walls of Camelin had been beautiful about them, the builders of Faldara seemed to have cared if anything, excuse me, if anyone found their walls beautiful. The gray stone was grimly implacable, proclaiming that it existed for one purpose alone, to hold. I think that right there was it, to hold. We are now entering like the land of the warriors. Like we have come to the spot where we're going to hit like the badass people. I'm excited. Yeah, this is well, like um, this is like uh, in Game of Thrones, like the wall, like the people that that the, the what what are they mm-hmm. called the the crows? Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're the ones who check, exactly check the realms. <laughs> yeah, or Mordor. I mean, it's all just all all of their buildings and and their houses even here's some description about like the tall peak houses uh so in in this area the buildings and everything uh it's all about being practical there's little to no effort into putting any type of aesthetically pleasing anything it's all just function and even as we get further into the chapter not even that much further as they're looking around as to to what the people are doing it's because they are just constantly in uh, a prepare for war mode so it's one they have to make it practical it needs to be able to you know defend them and they need to have multiple layers of defense but also they they don't have the time for those type of arts you know to sculpt this that, and the other and make things look pretty on the wall and now they're they're building arrows and uh, swords and axes. So as they approach to land tells them to show their faces, um, explains the law here that no one's allowed to cover their faces um, within it. It's it's to, and and Matt kind of laughs about it saying, why is that? And he says, so they don't, they don't think you're a fade. You know, Matt immediately shuts up And, and then they get there and they can see everyone's packed into the city. Uh, the city is very, very full of people. Obviously, everyone's left the countryside. They're all inside the city, and and people are cheering as they go in. Um, they're saying these weird words that that the crew has no idea. Like Rand and Matt and Perrin have no idea what these things mean. But they're saying Daishan, Daishan, and glory to the builders and a bunch of old tongue. Um, and then, well, the golden crane fly again, and and everyone's shouting and cheering for land of all people, and. Uh, and they have no idea what's going on, why people are excited to see land. But what did you guys think about this when you first read it? I mean, I got excited. I've I've been a land fan, and you you could tell there was always a little bit more than meets the eye. And then we got a little bit of a hint from the description from men about what surround, surrounded land, and we've heard some. Uh, description from Moraine and what what did what did she call him like the Lord of the Seven Towers or 
Mm -hmm. uh, King of the Seven Towers or however she described it. But there was always like these hints of how much more awesome he is. I already know he's awesome, but there's like a a history to him. Uh, So like, yeah, I I was stoked that we were going to get a little bit more of that backstory. I believe we even have a, uh, yeah, we kind of determined that he was a king. And we did the parallel with Lord of the Rings. So. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's right. We definitely did that. So I think yep. we proved uh-huh. we have one right. There we go. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Ding. Which would be our second one so true, far. True, Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'll get to a lot more of that uh, actually next chapter. But we get a little bit here. Uh, but yeah, obviously they're really excited to see Land. Um, they're also excited to see an Ogier. So go to the. I think that's really oil. cool that they actually recognize um, what an Ogier is, because every other city he's been in, they've been right. freaked the heck out. And here we go, he's actually like right praised, which is really cool. And that has to be refreshing to Loyal because in many of the other places he's traveled, especially much further south, uh, apparently. A lot of people don't know and just confused him as a Trolloc and freaked out. So somehow either they've been visited by one before or they've done such a good job in preserving the history uh, that, well, I guess they would have experienced so much experience with Trollocs that they would know that he's not a Trolloc. Like they would notice the difference. But either way, they were able to recognize that, him hey, instantly, question. which is, you know. That, that, that and we know Ogiers go meet the Green Man. So we know that Ogiers go go to the sure. eye of the world. Yeah, and yeah. You assume that you're traveling. I've, I've right, done so that yeah, before. Yeah, so they, the city's packed with people, and uh, and then they head to the keep. And he also describes the keep, um, you know, as as they get in, um, as, as they go, go to this this you know dull, gr- grim looking structure in the center. Obviously, again, practical. So with the layers and layers of just physical security that they have here, the outer walls, the inner walls, the inner keep and whatnot. It's this whole place is designed. um, At least as I'm reading it uh, going through, it's designed to be like a no shit. This is the last stand. We can't, there's no running away from here. Um, We have to hold this line sort of place. At least that's how I read it. When, when we first started going through, we got better descriptions of, um, how the borderlands have kind of shifted over time and why they did. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, that definitely stood out to me. The descriptions of the keep and. Yeah. Right. And, and, like and the, the courtyard weapons are being made. It, yeah. And we, you talked about this already, like how weapons are just being made at a rapid pace. Like there's like six smiths going and fletchers everywhere. And there's making arrow swords, like in a factory. Well, I think what really re- got um, me was which, the fact which, that. Which, um, I think it's how you pronounce this name. Ingatar said, I am glad Ingtar. the call reached you, Dashan. Yeah. Like that right there in itself just kind of shows, hey, what, what call was sent out there? Like, where was it sent to? Like, are they really in that dire distress? If they're doing all this preparation and they're putting calls out there, like, how bad is it really? And I mean, he even, Lan even asked the question, like, is it really that bad? So, I think our timeline seems to be speeding up at a rapid pace when it comes to, you know, the Trollocs really coming out and, and doing some stuff. So I'm, I'm interested to see how the end of the book is going to play out. So, yeah, they, um, 
Ingtar, you know, does we meet like I said, we meet Ingtar, and I wanted to know your initial thoughts of this character because we are meeting some new characters here. So, what your thoughts are of him? First thoughts. Super optimistic. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah, very very optimistic, Uh, but in a good way. Not, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Don't have that much of a good read on him yet. I don't know if it's just being naive or. Uh, maybe he just has such faith in their purpose. Yeah, I don't know. Uh-huh. Probably sure. a little young and naive. Yeah, and he talks about how the raids are getting a lot worse, and um, and, and that the uh, uh, Trollocs are building an army. Um, you know, and that they they're gonna have to fight him soon. So they get into this room where they're gonna meet Algamar, who's the lord of this of, of Faldara. Um, he's not the king. Uh, Shinar, it's capitals actually further south uh, at Falmara, I believe is what it is. But um, uh, this is kind of like the one of the largest city outposts. I call it a city, a town outpost towards the Blight. So it's definitely a warring town. And Algamar's the lord of the town. So we get to meet Algamar. So I love the the scene where we enter the room um, because, of course, it touches something very dear to my heart. He said, in the room, there was a table, a chest, and a few chairs where the only furnishings, except for two racks on the wall, and they caught Rand's eyes as much as the tapestry. One held a two-handed sword taller than a man, a more ordinary broadsword, and below them, a studded mace and a suit of, <clears throat> excuse me, long kite-shaped shield bearing three foxes. From the other hung a suit of armor complete and arranged as one would wear it, crest helm with a barred face guard over a double-mailed cam mail. Like, super cool, all the awesome armor. You can tell that this is the room of a man that's just, like, ready for war and ready to to just destroy some stuff. For good reason, but (laughs) I think that's really cool. So yeah, so Algamar comes in and, uh, like you said, you get that description of the room and a little bit about him and uh, lots of greeting. It's all pretty much old tongue, um, you know. Uh, so it's I'm not gonna try to pronounce all the old tongue that they're doing, but they do formal greetings. Uh, you know, greets loyal differently, and and of course greets uh, land differently as as Daishan, and um, uh, which is obviously a title. Um, and and offers Moraine, uh, you know, a place to stay. All of them a place to stay for a long period of time. But Moraine kind of cuts him off and says, "No, we just need one night. Uh, we have to keep moving. Times of the essence." Um, and he kind of he's he's think that they've come to help them with the war they're about to fight. So there's just kind of this moment of confusion where they're just assuming that they've come to answer the call. Like they've they've reached out to. I guess all the nations saying, Hey, we're about to get overrun by Trollocs. And I don't think anybody's gotten this call. No one knows this. Like that's the, at least that's the the impression I get. Like, is there like, yeah, um, that's not where we're here, but how bad is it? Right. Um, and if land got that or feminine rain, it never came across to us as readers. So, uh, land, I, I took it as him being a little bit surprised. Uh, new, we actually got some stuff to do. So yeah, so yeah, Moraine says yeah we have yeah we have we, we can't go to Tarwin's Gap 
Um, and that's also on the map that we referred to before. Um, and, and, you know, Inktar had boasted, you know, we've always pushed them back from Tarn's Gap and we'll do it again. Um, and all this good stuff. And, uh, um, you know, as Ian said, being a little bit um, over optimistic. I said, if your army was an army full of lands, 10 to 1, that's good odds. No big deal. Uh, so, yeah. So, Inktar, our, our Algamar, is definitely thinks that they've come to join this fight, um, and they haven't. And he starts just going on and on about land, calling him a battle lord, and you know, uh, you know, and ask them again, "Are you coming? Are you coming? You know, you're you're meant to come and reclaim your land." And, and as they're saying this, land just crushes a silver goblin in his hands, like obviously getting really pissed off. Like he's saying, "Like I'm a warder. I'm not here to fight your battle." Um, and and land seems pissed. <laughs> hmm. Um. You know, he must follow Moraine. He's a warder. He's not here to fight, and you know, fight in Tarn's Gap. Um, so Agamar, you know, changes and starts pleading to Moraine. You know, but she says, "Our battle is elsewhere. Our battle is at the Eye." Thoughts about this whole interchange? Well, this is. I don't think that reading this, I didn't get the feeling that Lan is truly torn between the two fights. Like, I think he knows that the one he's on is important. Uh, but, but definitely uh, being here and hearing this plea from Algamar, uh, it's bringing up history. Now, like he was a baby when he left, but you know, we find out later he was still trained and, and those people there probably taught him a hundred percent of the history. So he knows who he is and, and what's in his blood and what he was originally born to do. Uh, so so that's kind of trying on him. So I think that's a lot of what his frustration is there as well. It's not like he feels like, oh, I'm bound as a warder, so I can't help you. It's like, no, I, you know, the, the warder shit's pretty important. This quest that he's on right now is a pretty important. Uh, and he's he's definitely you know, invested in that. But yeah, this is this is bringing up a lot of a lot of history and shit that he's pissed about family history yeah yeah i i think it's really cool how much they value the abilities that land and moraine have like we've got little glimpses here and there but you know a few pages back he's like i have no right to ask it of you but you would be worth a thousand lances in tarwin's gap and you diasan a thousand men will come, men will come when they hear the golden crane flies once more. So, like these two individuals that we have followed throughout the book, clearly kick ass, and they're definitely needed. So it's it's really cool. Um, but then, of course, Lan has that internal struggle. Like the seven towers are broken, Malkir is dead. Um, there are a few people left and were scattered throughout the world. I am a warder now. Like that continues to be his answer. And then Moraine comes back and she's like, hope is not lost yet. I think that's really Land's bigger struggle is that he realizes that um, Algamar is desperate. And I don't think that's something that Land is used to hearing from his war-ridden friend who comes back every time as like, triumphant it's this fear that he may not come back mm-hmm. 
Like he can mm. hear that desperation yeah. in his voice. I think that probably bothers Land more than he wants to let on because Land knows that he needs to go help with the larger battle because if they can win the larger battle, then the smaller battle will kind of take care of itself. It's like that whole, you know, we have this idea of the hive mentality with the Trolloc. You know, if you can kill the queen, then the rest of the war is kind of over with. Right. So if we can get rid of Beelzeman, then we can, you know, end the Trolloc fight for good. So, um, you know, he looks over the group and kind of just, I think this is a really funny scene because he's like, so you're going to go up to the light with just you guys? Like, you have two girls. Um, are they Aes and I? I don't think so. And then you have maybe one fighting man and maybe two looking at Perrin. You know, like, and these, these are young kids. Like, I send some of my forces at least with you. Um, yeah, let me get, let me send a hundred lances with you. And Lance says, you know, a hundred would draw too much attention and a thousand would not be enough. Um, you know, they have to go in a small group. Yep. And this, yeah, I, I would, I would assume like at least Rand, maybe not Matt right now, but Rand and Perrin, they, they've got to be putting together. They, they've got an idea of how much further they have to travel now. Mm-hmm. And you know, Lands is set essentially setting this up. Moran setting it up like, yeah, uh, you know, you could take a thousand of these guys. It may not help. We need to just be stealthy, and we just need to hope that we don't have to fight anybody between here and the eye of the world. Right. Uh, so you you would think is is I don't want to say wise, but Rand has sometimes been very good on picking up on these things. Um. He's got to be starting to freak out about about what lies ahead. I mean, this is just going to be a, a sprint to the finish line and and hope you don't spring a trap or well, something. Well, his internal monologue kind of goes to that. It says that sort of struggle means using the power. And he said that in reference to um, the assumption that the Lord of Faldara assumed that the ladies would be the one fighting the battle. But then he also has that internal I too can use the power and that freaks him out because is there an expectation that he'll have control of the power by the time they have to face, you know, the dark one? Cause we know that's not going to happen. Like this is their days away from an actual interaction. Supposedly at this point, I don't see that happening. Um, but you know, <laughs> he's freaked out by it. Yeah, he, he's just, he, well, and he's overhearing a lot of conversation. I guess, you know, I said he's probably putting it together now, and maybe not. A lot of this is getting thrown at him, but within the next couple of hours, uh, you know, whenever he has time to sit and think to himself, you know, maybe as they go to sleep, whatever, like this has got to sink in, like like how serious this shit is getting right now for him. Uh-huh. Completely. Yeah. Like they were, offer- they were offered an army, and Landon Moraine said, no, thank you. Right. Like that, ah, man. Oof. Yeah, I'd be nervous. And, and then Moraine drops the bomb, saying, "Well, I know how to get to the Eye of the World. I've been there before." And they all kind of like, "Well, then you can't go because you can only get there once. Like you can't find it more than once." And she kind of says, "Needs the key, and we have more need than anyone ever has before." Um, and plus, she has a secret weapon. She has an Ogier, and as Loyal points out, Taviran as well. <laughs> so, so that that jumped out to me. 
we we talked before about what is special about Moraine as an Aes Sedai. And, you know, we, we find out what color crayon she is. <laughs> um, is she, what it, was she blue Aja? Is that what yeah. it was? Right, right. And I, I'm not even going to pretend to know 100% what that means right now, but we, we have hints of what that means. But we even, we even talked about, like, the fact that she's traveling alone on what seems to be, like, this very important mission. Um, there's other eyes that I traveling around doing other things, going after Loghain, doing X, Y, Z. But she got picked for this. Uh-huh. There's something special about her. And then we find out that she's already been to the eye of the world. Uh, and I would assume, does it say she met the green man? I'm assuming yeah. they go hand in hand. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm wondering, like, if in that meeting something was revealed to her or something was revealed about her that she was going to be part of this. But, I mean, that just jumped out like, oh, maybe that meeting, that encounter is what what singled her out as the Aes Sedai uh, to go after these boys. Yeah, and, and yeah. We, we skipped over two words that's very important. It wasn't just need is the key. It was need is the key and intention. Uh-huh. You know, and being very intentional in what you're doing means that you have an understanding or, less, or at least you have created an understanding of what needs to happen for yourself or somebody's done it for you. How do we know that the green man didn't send her on this mission. Right. So I'm agreeing with you. And if you're go- yeah, if you're going seeking glory, that's another thing it says as well, that it will not appear for those to seek glory. And um, then what makes the Ogier so special? Maybe it's their natural intuitive ability to use magic that allows them to sense the green man. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See so yeah, at this point, they all finish their dinners. They pass out pipes, um, you know, and Loyal kind of, they're kind of just talking and Loyal's, you know, and I love the scene they pass the pipes and said they're the finest two rivers to back. Um, you know, it's just like, oh. so, so they're, so they're getting high as a kite right now. <laughs> yeah. But they, you know, all these boys are from the two rivers. And I don't think even, uh, even, even Agomar uh, knows that they're from the two rivers at this point. <laughs> so I thought it was just really funny kind of callback scene. Um, and, and Loyal is, um, you know, hoping was hoping to see the groves, but you know, and asks about them, and says, you know, those destroyed in the Trollic Wars, everything was destroyed. You know, the city, the whole nation, we rebuilt, but yeah, they, they've been long, long gone. Um, and then, and then he gives this really nice scene where Land does some poetry. <laughs> you know, it, it, poetry out of Land. Yeah. <laughs> the man was like an onion. <laughs> Every time Rand thought he knew something about the water, he discovered another layer underneath. So I'm guessing, uh, shit, what was Shrek. that movie? Shrek. Big Green Ogre. Shrek. Shrek. So, so Shrek, Shrek stole from Robert Jordan right yeah. here. <laughs> well played. Fucking well played. Honey. And then our, our friend Inktar comes back in and says, there's a, there's a stranger that tried to enter the town. So it's just a small thing. Um, you know, yeah, no, no big, big deal. deal. No big deal. And and and, and Agamar is like, wait, that this can't be a small thing. Um, you know, he was cu- caught scaling the wall, and he's a madman. Um, and Agamar's like, bring him to me right now. This is this can't be a small thing. Um, 
and uh, they said the dark friends were trying to salt through the gate earlier that day, and they got they got caught by the mob of the citizens and got beat up and killed <laughs> before they questioned them. So things are happening, and like it's just things are not right. You know, you have Trollocs are building an army. There's dark friends in the city, and now you have this madman scale on the wall, and then and then we bring the madman in. We get a description. We figure out immediately who this is. Oh no, Chris yeah. and I knew who this was. Yeah, like, we knew this before back the description. In chapter five. Like what? <laughs> right. All right. So, 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 all joking aside, though, once you started reading about, all right, there's this madman. That's. Fane. Did you immediately yep. think Pat and Fane? Okay, well, okay I did so too. Instantly. I don't know if we got I lucky on that, fair. or I'm curious. I'm gonna ask. I was like, maybe, maybe the random person is Tom, and he's just like been touched by the taint a little too much. I was like, it's either him or Pat and Fame. Definitely think it's Pat and Fame, but I had this hope that we were going to get our hero back. Get yeah, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But- yeah, so the, I, what I was going to say is uh, this is where uh, I got to get uh, some input from our listeners and get them to think about their first time reading through, or especially if we have first time readers out there. Like, I. I didn't think it was anybody else. I don't know why. I can't really point to something that says this is why I thought it was Pat and Fane, but you and I have kind of been building on this. And once they mentioned it, I was like, oh, it's Pat and Fane. I, but it's not the extent of what all is going on. I didn't really, ha- I didn't know any of that. Yeah. And that, that's what I was going to get to that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that part I did not know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, didn't see that. Then coming. you get what really, who Pat and Fane really is. Um, and he's not just your normal person. Well, he is, he says, you've caught, you've no cause to hold me like this, the filthy man whined. I'm only a poor, destitute, abandoned by the light and seeking a place like everyone else to shelter from the shadow. Now, that term, the shadow isn't used that often. So yeah. I think that's really cool. He's using a different title. So the Borderlands are a strange, or then Algamar is like the Borderlands are a strong place to seek the mat instantly. The peddler. And then Perrin, Perrin is like, oh, Pat and Fane. Like, Perrin's like the beggar. All of these titles for him suddenly just like come out and then you see the hatred that flared in Fane's eyes. And then they're like, he's the man who was asking about us in Camelin. He has to be. So now they're finally figuring out what we knew so long ago. <laughs> But but hold on, Chris. Remember when uh, Beelzeman was speaking in one of the dreams before something, or was it Beelzeman? Or am I thinking all the way back to the prologue about being uh, known by many names? Oh no, I think you're right. It might be in the prologue. I think that was Beelzeman. Yeah, it might be Beelzeman. Either either way, yeah, it might have been Beelzeman. But like that kind of struck me there where. It was, you know, this crazy man wandering around. No, it's the peddler. No, it's Patty and Fane. No, it's the beggar. And it's all these different names for the same being. Mm-hmm. So that kind of that kind of yeah. triggered me. I was like, hmm, little, little Basilmon. Yeah. <laughs> little sprinkle, sprinkle. Well, we, we figure a little bit more about Basilmon is that he made Fane his, his hound. But not just recently, like years, like three years ago. Like, um, and, and, yeah, he changes personalities back and forth, and we'll get more into it next chapter when Maureen comes back for the report. But uh, Maureen, you know, our, in this scene, Fane's changing back and forth between personalities. Even accents, they, they mentioned that as well. He said, there's a misunderstanding here, great lord. I am sometimes taking, taken by spells, 
but that will soon pass. Yes, soon I'll be rid of them. And this is after he goes, I didn't want to, Fame began to cry, back tears cut, runnels in the dirt on his cheeks. But they were unable to reach the bottom layer. He made me, him and his burning eyes. Like that, got a reaction from everybody. Rand flinch. Matt went straight for the dagger. He made me a sound. So it's kind of like that Gullum with the one ring. That's what I started to imagine here. Yeah. Yeah, this is going to have to take some fantastic acting. They've man yeah. this could steal the this could steal the show right at the end of eye of the world sure and, and one thing that 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 rafe he's uh rafe's rafe judkins is the showrunner for for the tv show mm-hmm. um yeah one thing he said is that in the first knowing the story in the first scene when you meet Patton fane and he steps off his his cart with his grandiose thoughts he said when, when he saw him do it Actually, when they're filming this, that scene, he said it gave him chills. Like it was that perfect, like almost scary. Like, like he did it well. Like, uh, like it's like, uh, like fantastic. Yeah, so apparently, this actor's doing a really good job. But we'll see. Well, we can judge for ourselves, of course. But yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a fantastic role. Um, and, and you know, he, cl- he immediately starts claiming that he can defeat the shadow. That you know, he has secret information, and, and Moraine's kind of calling bullshit on it. She says something to Matt real fast to calm him down. Um, you know, whispers in his ear, and then um, starts to walk towards uh, Fane. And Fane immediately starts to like you know cower again, and immediately goes back into his um, you know his his old ways. Or you know, goes back into quivering, not not as prideful and, and confident as he was. Um, and, and Moraine immediately says, you know, he's, he's super dangerous. I need to interrogate him immediately. Uh, no, no, no. And that's how we end the chapter with, uh, with Moraine having to, uh, take him to interrogation. No time to clean him up. I need, I need to, to get to the bottom of this right now. Yeah, I love the way she, so, yeah. did it. she said, he's less than human, worse than vile, more dangerous than you could imagine. He can be bathed after I've mm-hmm. spoken to him. I dare not waste a minute. Who would have yep. thought? Even with all of our joking and back and forth, and we had this idea that he's going to be this grandiose bad guy, like we were saying it in jest, but here we have all of our thoughts confirmed. I kind of want to go back and uh, re-listen to us, Chris, from when we first met Pat and Fane, because I think we both we called him out as like having the type of personality that was just at risk of, I you, don't know, you, Ian, you hit, being a giant dude. You hate him at first. Like, Chris was calling my boy. <laughs> <laughs> was he? Yeah. Okay. My boy's boy. I, I just remember. Boy I, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I don't like this guy at all. I was like, Chris, Chris definitely took a while to get suspicious. I think it wasn't until Barrelon that Chris got on the, we don't like Patrick Strange train, but um, yeah, I just I, I've never had warm fuzzies about this guy. He he yeah. always he creeped me out from the get go. But, but then I think in, in Barillon, you guys thought he was a white cloak spy. You thought his motives were around money and trying to get his you know livelihood back. Where well, that's we, not his that's true. not his motive well, at no, all. We said two ways though. We said he could <laughs> yeah, be white no. cloak, or he could be dark friend, or he could be a double agent. Sure. Right. So. A secret. 
Agent Man <laughs> secret. Yeah. Sure. Anyways, he's a he's a horrible person. Yeah. We don't like we don't like him now. Yeah. Any other thoughts in this chapter before we move on to the next one? Thank you. Land yeah. is the man. <laughs> I man. Land's pretty badass. Uh, yeah. He is. That's gonna how uh, I'm gonna summarize the next chapter by saying Lan is so the man. He puts the crown on and takes this gigantic sword and drives it into somebody. The end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> somebody, something. Yeah. All right. So moving on to chapter forty-seven, more tales of the wheel, and the icon is ravens. So. Um, this one had, you know, Faldara was just the name of the city. Now we have it's a little more of a cryptic name of a chapter. So, you know, we talked about before that you're hoping to get more about the powers for that. But kind of, not really. Um, this is more about land. But, um, but what do you guys think about the title title? Now that you've read it. Or even before. <laughs> and the icon, Ravens. Well, lo- looking at it at first, um, just the title, More Tales of the Wheel. Tales being more a already happened, telling a story that already happened. Uh, was hoping for a little bit more background as to how we got to where we were. But I will, in saying that, when, when I was hoping for that, I in no way, shape, or form thought what we were going to get out of Pat and Fane. And uh, or what Moraine got out of them is what we were going to get like that. Yeah. All of that 100 percent threw me for a loop. Didn't uh-huh. see it coming at all. Yeah. Sure. I'm right there with you. And I completely agree. I was like, all right, so we're going to get a lot of background about something or someone. And we definitely got a wild ride. <laughs> One that, you know, we really, really, really did not expect. Um, but then again, what is it? What's the saying? The will wills is the will weaves, or the will weaves is the will the, wills. The weaves, I don't ever say yeah. it right. <laughs> yeah, the will the will weaves as the will will wills. Yes. So let it weave as it will. <laughs> there we go. So, so yeah, and then of course we have the ravens as the icon. Um, you know, we've talked about that. Sometimes it has to do with you know the ravens watching, but then we also talked about Odin. You know, it could be a symbol of you know thought and uh, what's it thought and what are the two. Thought and what's the other raven's name? Odin's ravens. Thought and memory. Yeah. Thought and thought and memory of the two ravens. Um, So yeah. So yeah. Um, So we start the chapter off with Rand pacing the room. Um, He's super on edge, just wondering what's taking Moraine so long, what he's what she's doing with Fane, what what she's asking Fane. He Matt's super edgy as well. He's done reaching for the dagger and. And you kind of get to go in the room and see what everyone's doing. Loyal's staring at the stone walls, like just studying the stone, uh, being an ogier. Hmm. <laughs> he's, he's just being an ogier. Uh, you can see him just slowly. He says, I think he stands in the middle of the room, slowly turns around, just kind of takes it all in and, you know, trying to try to figure things out. Um, and um, Egwene and Nynaeve are talking with Lord Algorithm, as we're going to call him now. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, Lord, uh, Lord, I can't even say his real name anymore. I'm gonna call him Algorithm. Um, Got you messed up. Yeah. Got you. <laughs> Agomar. Um, I'm talking to him. Um, talk, the, the two of the girls are talking to him. And, um, 
and uh, Egwene's asking about land. You know, what's all this Daishan? You know, what what does that mean? You know, why do they keep why do they talk about the golden crane? You know, what is all this stuff? And um, and Randover hears um, Algamar start to talk talk about land. Um, so yeah, so we get the story about land. I love um, how Egwene's asking well, the questions, but Nynaeve is the one studying intently. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a love connection there. I can almost guarantee it. Uh-huh. All right. This time I let you keep talking just so I can pull a legitimate Chris. And let's go back for a minute. Um, and let's go back to the very first paragraph. Um, this is where I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to Chris even further and give a nod uh, to Jordan in, in how he describes the anxiety that Rand is feeling. Um, I don't know. It, with the amount of listeners we have, there's there's probably some that have struggled with this over time. I know I've had my moments of anxiety, and, and it's a spectrum of some nervous tics and, and sometimes where it's to the point of de- being debilitating. Uh, and then I've also had experience in uh, SEER training uh, receiving and instructing. And this, when I read this, knowing that Jordan has some military experience, I wonder if, if he's like, is he drawing on some experiences from POWs or this is even something that you'll see from people that have been, uh, imprisoned or, uh, kept in small confined areas for long periods of time. Um, the constant pacing, the counting of the steps, um, the, the counting of the times you cross room, this, that, and the other, this, this is something like somebody experiencing a high level of anxiety because they have no control over anything else. Uh, they know there's a lot of shit that should be done, needs to be done. There's important things being decided, but they have no control over it. Um, this is like a, uh, I don't want to say like a, I don't know, just a perfect example of somebody that is just anxious and in, in coming out of their skin, but can't do anything about it. So what do you do? You focus on like just the, the basic, I'm walking in the room. The, right. You're trying to, you're, you're trying to grasp and think about what you can control, but all, all he can control is him walking around the room right so now. I have a little bit of so I'm there, obsessive compulsive disorder linked to uh-huh. childhood depression and anxiety. And when I read this first scene, I highlighted it because that's exactly what happens to me when I'm in a high stress, high anxiety moment. I find something to count or I make it a point Mm -hmm. to turn something very small into something very significant just to give me something to feel important about. (laughs) So, yeah, I can definitely feel... A lot of that. So, Alan, I, or Ian, I definitely, definitely am glad you brought that back up. Yeah, yeah. but it, it it makes me question, and of course, we don't have an answer for it. Like, what did he draw on? Is it a personal experience? The author was it a personal experience that he drew upon to be able to write this so accurately? Um, or is this research and talking to people and trying to find a good way to write about it? I don't know, but sure. I, I'd, I'd be curious if there's anything out there that speaks specifically on this. If you can write yeah. 14 novels, 
about the same group <laughs> of characters, it's got to be some some form of of self knowledge. Oh man, yeah, yeah. When I like, I brought up the seer thing because honestly, it, you could take anybody and just put them in this crazy high stress, like just interrogating them, grilling them, whatever. Do whatever you can to stress them out, and then just put them in a small enclosed area and then just watch them and 99.9 percent of the time they do this Mm. they walk around they mumble to themselves they count their steps and it's like you said it's they feel so such a loss of control they they try to find something they can focus on and can control like anyways it's very specific i thought so it jumped out to me anyways back back to like the actual point of this chapter my bad yeah yeah, so, you know, they get to Lan's story. So uh, we find out a lot about Lan. Um, I don't know if you guys want to talk about it and what you picked out of it, but, you know, the first thing we find out is that Lan's actually uh, a king. Like, literally, he's he's the uncrowned king of, of the Maokiri. He said, Lord of the Seven Towers, an ancient title, Lady Egwene, not even the high lords of Ter have older though the queen of Andor comes close. He will not speak of it, yet the story is well known along the border. He is a king, or should have been. Alan is Mand- Mandagora? Mandragoran. Uh-huh. Lord of the Seven Towers, Lord of the Lakes, crownless king of uh, Malkir. So we, we get, again, this huge title attached to him. He said, we of uh, Shinar call ourselves bordermen, but fewer than 50 years ago, Shinar was not truly the borderland north of us, and of Arafel was Malkir. The lances of Shinar rode north, but it was Malkir that held back the blight. So peace favor her memory, and the light illuminate her name. Uh Uh-huh. And then, and then he immediately goes into the story of how Malkir fell. Um, that that Lan's father was the king. Uh, Lane was the king's brother. Um, and he led an army to the Blight. Um, and Brain was um, his wife. Was his wife. And was jealous of, of, of Lan's dad. Um, you know, uh, and wanted her husband to be on the throne. But of course, her husband died in while taking his army up north to, to fight the Trollocs and the, and the dark and the dark, you know, even the Shogul himself had said that, you know, he didn't march that far, um, but ended up dying in that. Um, and she convinced this other guy, Cowan Fairheart to try to become the king. And it started kind of like a, but not start kind of, it started a civil war. Um, and what they didn't know is that Fairheart was actually a dark friend. <laughs> um, and used this as an excuse to uh, for the Trollocs to invade. Um, and after it was found out, um, the brain tried to escape, but was run down by Trollocs. And the king faced Fairheart in one-on-one single combat, but killed him. Um, but at this point, because of all the Civil War and all this other stuff, basically the forces were just uh, So here's know, your time traveling, Tam. So the his son Ism, who we do not know where he is or what happened to him, is really Rand, taken forward into time by Tam. 
Bingo. <laughs> That's crazy that we think so much alike. That's a hundred percent. C three baby. Time traveling tan. Time traveling tan. <laughs> so the, so yeah so the sign was of Lane was Duran. Okay. Yeah and have, and. Have predictions? <laughs> Yeah, so so real quick, um, and and this you can edit this out if you want, Alan. But uh, we were talking offline, Chris and I, and uh, Chris was going to just make this horrible comment about if you wanted the Cliff Notes version of this scenario here. Essentially, there was some um, jealous woman that pretty much destroyed Land's kingdom. That's the Cliff Notes right there. Yeah. And and then he went on and on blaming women in general, and I was like, "Whoa, Chris, hey, easy now." <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to call me a lot. Thanks a lot. I just want to make the after party exciting. Stop Ian from saying that, please. <laughs> we're getting so many anger spaces in Discord right now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I will uh, deny those comments. I will leave that to Ian's conscience. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Uh, no one's perfect. So with uh, yeah, with no time to regroup, um, they took the infant son, which was Lan, um, which was the king's son, as an infant, and gave him, um, you know, the sword. And his cradle. So that's, you know, back all the way back when we met Min, that was one of the men's viewing was a baby in a cradle with a sword. And we talked about it a little bit. Yep. yep, yep. That's what you saw around land. Um, and, you know, gave him the oath of the Makiri, which love this oath, but it's a short, sweet, but it's one of these great lines that Robert Jordan writes. Um, I don't know if you guys have that in front of you. To stand but- against the shadow so long as iron is hard and stone abides. To defend the Malkir while one drop of blood remains, to avenge what cannot be defended. Yep. Beautiful. So, mm. yeah. So that's the oath that was given. Um, they took twenty, the twenty of the best men, and sent him south. Um, and the king got the rest of the army to make one last stand. Um, and obviously was in, in vain, but just as much as they could to fight. To save the kingdom, which obviously they all died, and Makir Makir was overrun uh, by the blight and the Trollocs. And of the twenty that took land south, only five survived, and all of them. And won. they were busted up. Yeah, they're all. Yeah, they were busted up. Um, but Land had been f- had trained to fight and trained about the blight since he was in the cradle. So literally, this guy's been been raised. Like, well, I love the description. Um, he learned you know, weapons it, as other children learned toys, and the blight as other children learned their mother's garden. The oath sworn over his cradle is engraven in his mind. There is nothing left to defend, but he can avenge. He denies his titles, yet in the borderlands, he is called the uncrowned. And even, <clears throat> and if ever he raised the golden crane of Malkir, an army would come to follow but he will not lead men to their deaths. In the blight, he courts death as a suitor, courts a maid, but he will not lead others to it. There's our nod to Tolkien. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, big, yeah. big time, big, big time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for saying that. That's where I was going to chime in, but yeah. yeah. So before we move past all this, what's your thoughts about all of this backstory from Lan? Um, obviously, Lan's, Lan's the man, and he's badass. Ah, uh, you know, the trouble is, it. it you, you mentioned it early on, the, the joke you told us, oh, we get like 100 things answered, but then we get 200 more questions. But like, yeah, we learned a lot more about Lan and his backstory, but but how much of this is going to get resolved? It like, are we just going to do a quick touch and go here and then Lan never revisits, revisits his past? He doesn't reclaim his title? Maybe the whole story moves away from that and it's no big deal anymore. Or maybe that's like a central part of this freaking story. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know if I'm supposed to care a lot about this or just a little bit. I don't know. Maybe if Sam is Loghain. Chris, any thoughts from you on, on, on the story? I'm actually right there with Ian. Um, the only other thing I thought was maybe that, um, Loghain has something to do with this. Maybe Sam is Loghain, you know. I'm trying to make some, some draw some things that we could stretch over 14 books now. Now that like Patton Fane has come out to be this hugely important character when in the beginning he was just like the butt of all of our jokes. I am just like <laughs> anything could happen at this point. The one thing I will say is we haven't had any big deaths, so Thank you to Jordan for not being that yeah. much like our good friend Martin. Um, but they will come. <laughs> give, it, give it time. Give it Thanks time. We have 14 bucks. Um, <laughs> we've had Tom. No, he's not dead. So you can give up on that one. <laughs> Anyways, so um, yeah, so Moraine comes back at this point. She comes in the door and uh, she explains about Fang. So we learned that Fane's been a dark friend for 40 years, like forever, his entire life pretty much. Um, wow. That he's the one who actually brought the Trollocs to Emmons Field. Like that's how they got there was Fane led them there. Um, and, and three years ago, Fane actually went to Shadowgul itself and was actually forced to be a hound for the Dark One. And Balzamon actually met with, with, with Fane there and gave him orders to hunt down um, basically the trio, um, you know, find these, find these, these three kids and hunt them down. And they, the dark one knew he was in this area and that's, and they just haven't picked Fane because he was dark friend already. He was a peddler in that area already. So he was the perfect person to pick, to try to search that area around Barillon, uh for, for these kids. Um, so after three years, you know, actually they finally honed down to the village and to, and to rain Matt and Perrin and figured it out. That's when, uh, you know, pain, Fane brought them through the ways actually, well, actually the fades brought them through the ways, but told them how to use the ways, told them how to get there and came by cart and met them all there. This is by far, um, it's been like the most highlighted part of my book. And the most confused highlights mm-hmm. ever, because I was like, my mind is, was spinning, and I, I again like the the imagery was a big deal, but the actual words that were being said was a big deal, and then the the questions that it created for me are a big deal. Like 
the statement Moraine makes, I said he was worse than vile, but I did not come close. I do not believe I have ever met someone so abject and debased, yet at the same time so foul. I feel soiled from touching him, and I do not mean for the filth on his skin, soiled in here, and she touched her breast. I had to add that. The degradation of his soul almost makes me <laughs> giggity, doubt giggity. he has one. There is something worse to him than a dark friend. So uh-huh. it's just like it's yeah. literally just like makes me not have any, like I have plenty to say, but at the same time I have nothing to say at all. And then we, we get further on and yeah. she makes the statement as if Bialzaman himself had kind of imprinted himself onto our uh, onto Pat and Fane or like become a part of him. So like here's our, our nod to Harry Potter or our, our nod to Twilight right. if you really like that. But <laughs> it, it's yeah, we don't. We, we Harry don't. Potter Harry Potter it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But then it says, like, Egwene was just like, he looks so pitiful. I remember him arriving at Edmonds Field each spring, always laughing and full of news from the outside. Surely there's some hope. No man can stand in the shadow as long that he cannot find the light again. So, and she says she quoted. I'd like to know where that quote came from. Like, is there some text that we don't sure. know about? Is there is this like religion from like white cloak religion or like where where does this come from? Because we don't actually get where the quote comes from. And then of course we have Moraine yeah. actually has some hope. She's like, I always I have always believed it's so. Um, perhaps Patton Fan can be redeemed, but he has been a dark friend for more than forty years. Forty years. Uh-huh. He's been uh-huh. a dark friend. Like he's not new to this shit. Like right. this is his life. Like I don't know how old Patton Fane is. I always thought he was this young man. Like I had a different picture of him in my mind. So now he's a, at least you know a little bit beyond middle age, I guess, for that time frame. But I don't know how age works in yeah. in this book, but. Like, I imagine, sure. like, a 25-year-old, like, you know, slightly flamboyant guy. Let's say, <laughs> let's say he became a dark friend as a teenager. You know, maybe he's in his yeah. 50s. Yeah, so f- 55, uh, 55 uh, to 60. Yeah, 40 years, yeah. So what What this did for me is um, it – it started to make more sense why we have this many books to tell this story. Um, because you have, you know, good versus evil, right? And and so far, um, early in the book, the the good guys, the heroes, I'm, I'm doing air quotes like you guys can see them. Um, they're only just learning about all this. I mean, they've heard some songs and they've heard some tales from the past. But all of this, every step of the way is like a new revelation to them. But on the evil side of things, this has been plotted and planned for years and years and years and years. 
and in such a subtle way that even even the good forces out there, the the eyes to die, and anybody else who's looking out for um, dark friends or the the dark one, and any influences they might have, like all of this went unnoticed that they were hunting these boys. Uh-huh. Uh, so the the evil side here has been slowly weaving its way, and I use weaving intentionally towards its own purpose it's not like our boys are going to show up and in one day just solve the riddle this isn't scooby-doo they're not going to go to the eye of the world and the green man and yank the mask of some off somebody and be like aha we got you and the story's over like um it's going to take a significant amount of effort (laughs) to to undo what's been done if that can even be done Uh or or change the the destiny of this timeline uh because a pretty significant evil power has been working at this for quite some time in a really sneaky fucking way. So, right. Hence 50,000 books. Yeah. And, and they also talk about how Fane, um, uh, how the, the fades had threatened him all the time. So, you know, he's dealing with the merge, all the fades, um, and they're threatening to feed him to the Trollocs after, after they're done with this the entire time. Yeah, what, I, what about, uh, when when the one uh, fade gets him and has him sleep inside the freaking Trollocs cook pot. Right? Yep. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness, <laughs> that is so effed up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like this, Chris, do you do you in some ways feel bad for him the as you're reading time, this? I think that's the really sad part about it. The entire time, I'm like, that poor guy. Like this really sucks. Yeah, that's. So at some point he made a deal with the devil and all right, screw him for that. Right. But then he's just been, man, he's been hosed big time. Right. And and this is just straight torture. What they do to him. Right. And then something happened in shatter Logoth as well, but he didn't really get into too much detail there, but um, he figured out that the, the trail was fake before they got the Charlotte, Shadow Logoth and followed them into the city there. Um, and it kind of escaped the fades as well, but he just, and he thought he was finally free of, of this chase, but because of what the dark one had done to him, they pretty much, had, you know, it goes back to, you know, Pavlov's dog kind of things. He's been conditioned that no matter what it's hunt, hunt, hunt. Like he can't get away from it. Even if he gets away from the fades and Trollocs, he still has this urge and almost like this power over him. That he has to compel abortion. That he has to keep hunting. He's um, been totally programmed for that. Right. So, you know, falls into Camelin and is really upset when he only finds two of them there. And then even more upset when they go into the ways. Um, and then kills the shopkeeper. Um, found that out. Um, you know, so when, but you know, why? The- this is the owner of the shop who came to investigate the noise Fane murdered. Not because he had to, but out of envy that the man could walk freely out of the cellar while his feet carried him inexuberantly into the ways. Yeah, so it's not just this random killing. It's, and this goes to me feeling, I know know this sounds horrible because Fane just killed somebody, but it, it goes towards me feeling bad for Pat and Fane, like 
he is at this point, I mean, it's absolute torture for him. He is being forced to do things, compelled to do things that he doesn't want to do in such a way like to see somebody that's able to walk away freely has him infuriated to the point of killing. Like that's his mind is so twisted right now. I mean, that's I mean, just if you look back, that's ridiculous. It says he witnessed evil against evil in the ruins of Shadaloga. Like foul fighting vile. He had to watch that. He said his teeth chattered and he whimpered while retelling the story. And then like he thought he was free. Oh my goodness. And then he discovered that the compulsion to hunt did not lessen. Instead it grew sharper with every day that passed. He could not eat except what he could scavenge while he hunted you. Beetles and lizards snatched while he ran. Half-rotten, refused dung from the middle heaps in the dark of the night. Nor could he stop until exhaustion collapsed him like an empty sack. And as soon as he had strength to stand again, he was driven on. By the time he reached Camelin, he could feel his query, even when it was within a mile away. Here, in the cellar below, he would sometimes look up without realizing what he was doing. He was looking in the direction of this room. Like he's still compelled. Mm. It's horrible. Yeah. Man. Then okay, Fane was the one who you sensed following us, Egwene said. Lane not Lane nodded. How did he escape the black wind? Her voice shook. She stopped to swallow. Oh. It was right behind us at the way gate. He escaped and he did not, Moraine said. The black wind caught him, and he claimed to understand the voices. Some greeted him as like to them. Others feared him. No sooner did the wind envelope fame than it fled. So literally, the black wind was afraid of him so much so that it fled. And we got this guy below them. Like, that's freaking crazy. Like, what power does he hold that he can literally make this, you know, dark power just, like, welcome him and run from him at the same time? I'm just, like, my mind's kind of blown Mm -hmm. at the moment. And right. and the black wind was like one of the scariest, creepiest things that our our party has run into thus far. And then Pat and Fane is either getting along with part of it or scaring the shit out of the rest of it. Like that's yeah, that's pretty that's pretty effed up. Yeah. And the last bit was that Moraine tried to ask him what's going to happen at the eye. What's all this about the eye of the world? And he they couldn't get that out of him. Um, so, well, more so than that, uh, gosh, I did a poor job highlighting when she tried to get that out of him. He almost intentionally bottled up like that was part of the big secret. That was, that was what he was holding on to the hardest and not letting go. So where she was able to get all this other info out of him, when she asked about that, he clammed up. And 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 he held on to his secrets, so clearly there's something there. Um, and yeah. and with with her wanting to rush out 
and thinking there's no time to waste. We're going to miss an opportunity here, but the plot yeah. thickens. Yeah. So, um, you know, at this point, Moraine says there's no time to waste. We have to leave you know, as soon as possible. Um, and then uh, Lord Algorithm, <laughs> as we call him now, um, says, you know, he still wants to help. Um, and and Moraine, Moraine says, that, you know, these boys will be the ones that fight the battle, none other. And you can see Algamar gets immediately scared about this. She's, he's like, do you, do you, like immediately Algamar, Algamar, Algamar thinks that they can channel. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's, you know, it starts that's to what back he's freaking away, out about. Reaches well, you're, soul. you're, you're no red, red Aja. <laughs> right. She goes there, Taviran. Yeah. The and pattern then, weaves itself around them. Yeah, they're Taviran. Already the Dark One has tried to kill each of them more than once. Three Taviran in one place are enough to change the life around them as surely as a whirlpool changes the path of a straw. When the place, when the place is the eye of the world, the pattern might weave even the father of lies into itself and make him harmless again. So we're literally gambling. That's what I got. We're going to roll the dice uh-huh. and hope like hell that these three being near him give us opportunity to be rid of them. Yeah. And then also she says, you know, the blood of Menephrine is strong <laughs> in almost all these men. Uh, and, you know, it, it immediately, you know, Algamar says, well, if it's Menephrine blood, that's great. But then Rand, of course, focuses on that one Two word. Two words, almost all. Um, but then throughout the... Yeah, almost all, yeah. Rand needs to get over that. Rand's a mutt He's from a man. We know somewhere this. else. But we also, like, you have <laughs> yep, to think yep, about yep. Rand's anxiety going back earlier and his anxiety over the last few chapters. It's always been around what does Moraine know, almost as if he's got some type of guilt. And he does. He hasn't told her the entirety of the dreams. Like, she's just learning about the dreams, and we're at the mm-hmm. end of the book. We are about to go combat the Alzheimer's, hypothetically speaking. We don't know that yet because the way this book is going, we could literally get to where the eye of the world is supposed to be if it's a physical thing, and it may not be there. Uh, who the heck knows? Like, at this point, anything <laughs> could be the case. Um, but that's what his focus is on. Like, what does she know? But he's still a little bit self-centered in that. So, love him to death, but, you know, get over yourself, dude. I am I am excited that uh, uh, our algorithm gets uh, pretty stoked about the Manethrin blood, which we 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 know the Manethrin blood is strongest in Matt because I said so, uh, and and I know nothing. So uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. That's gonna save the day. Yeah, but after all this, uh, Algamar uh, finally agrees. That they sh- they can go or they not, doesn't give them permission, but just agrees with what Moraine's saying, and they yeah. all go they all go to bed, and we end the chapter. So, um, as Chet is saying right now, you know nothing <laughs> against now. That's what I was um, thinking. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So uh, yeah, so we end the chapter. So any final thoughts about these two chapters? This chapter particularly, uh, we already talked about final thoughts from last chapter, but. Any final thoughts from this chapter? 
both of these, as exciting as it was, it was like drinking from a fire hose. Like, uh, I almost feel like before I read the next chapters, I'm, I'm going to read these last two and then kind of flow into the next two. Like, there was just we, a lot of stuff given to us. Mm-hmm. Also, also, Lan is the man. <laughs> Lan's awesome. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, Chris? I'm just... I don't... I don't even know how to word it. Like... We have Taviran, you know, this term has been used for, you know, these three boys, but I really want to know what that word means in the old tongue, and maybe the entire group is Taviran. Like, maybe we're not gathering the whole of it all. You know, we, we know that everybody's supposed to play some small part, but then, you know, I, I just... Like Padden Fang, I feel like he's got a bigger role to play. Like we know he does, but I think there's like more than just Bialzaman, just because of the way that he got out of Shadarloga. And then he got out of, I'm trying to think of all the situations that he escaped. I mean, he escaped the, um, the ways. Like I feel like he might be like the apex dark one or something. Like maybe there's so many other evils in the world and he's like got so many in him that he's just going to become something, some force to reckon with. I don't know. I just. You're behind the curve. You're behind the curve, man. This whole series ends with Pat and Fane playing stones against Rand. (laughs) Like that is the matchup. There you go. Yeah. Um, so also before we end this, in this episode for next week, we're doing two chapters. Like I said, the names of the chapters are the blight. That's the next chapter. And then Canada. (laughs) I don't don't even know their anthem. I apologize. I should have researched that. And then the dark (laughs) one stirs. Oh, Canada. Oh, wait, they're not the dark ones. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, obviously the blight's the blight. We got a place again, but the dark one stirs. Any thoughts about these? The dark one stirs really. These, uh, that title chapters. interests me when I read it. I was just like, so, like, we have this idea of him being kind of captivated or, you know, enthralled, in imprisoned, but maybe he's not. Maybe he was more or less in a slumber. Maybe he was taking a break. Maybe he was recharging. Maybe he was waiting on something special. Maybe Moraine is bringing him exactly what he's been waiting for. Like, I don't want to bring distrust to Moraine because I love her. Um, But it's almost like she's handing him exactly what he needs. And she's taken too big of a gamble. And these boys aren't trained to do anything. Like, they're still not war-hardened men like they've been in a couple battles they've done a whole heck of a lot of running what are they really going to do they don't know how to use their power like Perrin is the closest one to like being able to use his power properly and literally all he can do is see well and smell well like you know we've got um too many variables at play for them to be going into the blight towards the dark one. Yeah. 
Mm. So you're saying Moraine is actually (laughs) Black Aja and she's working for the Dark One (laughs) and she's intentionally leading the boys there and that's why she's done nothing to help them uh, cultivate their powers. So they'll get whacked. But actually what happens is Lan, who we know what his roots are when he finds out Moraine is the Black Aja. Lan kills Moraine and as he's really upset about it, Nynaeve comes in to console him go. and that's when and that's the up. end of the first book. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be okay with that. I'd be I'm not saying I'm calling that, but I, if it happened, I'd be all right with that. <laughs> so Moraine Moraine's going to die. Uh, but in this book now. So Randall's gonna die no, by Lan, Lan, Lan's gonna kill Moraine. Oh, when Lan's he finds out who me. she is. Yeah. Yeah. It just got okay. deep. There you go. <laughs> Alan's like Alan's like, that's so ridiculous. I'm not I'm not even gonna write it down. <laughs> uh, I just I got I got it recorded, so I just, I don't have to write it down. I listen to it next week. Everybody everybody on the eyes. Oh, God, these guys <laughs> seem to be intelligent and now they've gone off the deep end. We can stop listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Uh, no, this this is what they live for. This is this is good stuff. Um, I just try well, to remain open to the craziest of possibilities because the crazy is going to happen. Yeah. Jordan's going to hit us with some crazy shit, and I want to be like, all right, maybe that's not what I predicted, but I was I was expecting ridiculous. So, bam, he got me. You know, and, yeah. and I'm not and I'm not too thrown off. Off kilter with it. Yeah. Well, sounds good. So let me go ahead and wrap it up for the week. So, um, um, so how you can find us, we can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at the wheel reads uh, at the uh, wheel reads at gmail.com is our email. If you want to send me an email, um, I will respond to it. Also, we have our wonderful discord community. We are growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we also hang out a lot of other discords as well, but um, ours uh, tends to be a landing platform for a lot of Wheel of Time fans. But um, uh, like I said, uh, we, we kind of jump around to a lot of different ones. But it's uh, uh, feel free to come join us, even if you are a first-time reader. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we have special uh, roles that we can place on you so you won't be spoiled and people know that you are a first-time reader um, we have different channels for first-time readers depending on what book you're on. So you can actually talk about the book you're on without fear of being spoiled further on and actually talk to people about that um, as a place where um, – because I know a lot – when I read through it my first time, um, you know, I didn't have anybody talk to about it because I didn't know anybody else that read it. And uh, I think I even talked to Ian about it at one point saying he needs to read this book. This was years ago, and I think Ian said no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pretty but much. I think he's going to do a podcast. Uh, so now he's reading it. Uh-huh, gotcha. It only took 10 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my brother read him, but um, um, he read him so far after I did that um, uh, we didn't really talk about it much either. But um, it's a great place for you to come if you're first time reading through. We love first time readers. Uh, we got two of them right here, Chris and Ian. Um, also we have our Patreon, um, feel free to click on that link, look at the different levels right now. We have three levels. I'm thinking about actually adding two more. So a little bit of a, um, I guess behind the scenes, um, uh, I've been in talks about adding two more levels. So uh, there'll be upper levels than what already is there. So obviously, um, um, a little more 
uh, higher tiers as far as price point, but um, trying to find some really, really cool um, things for those levels. So um, brainstorming, thinking about that. Also, there's some other things in the work as well that I'm not quite ready to announce yet, but we have some big things coming. So um, uh, lots of changes coming, lots of good things coming, uh, lots of collabs. Um, some people are Discord already know about them. Some people don't, but uh, but we'll we'll keep it kind of a, a, a ambiguous for right now. But um, um, we might have another guest host coming also as well soon. So keep listening to us, enjoy us, rate us, share us, tell everybody about us. Um, uh, we, we love reviews and uh, and love that you're listening to us. So I think that's it for me. Peace. Until next time. Thank you for listening to The Wheel of Reads. See y'all next time.